the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription. My name is Mike Gennetti. December 11th, week 14 of the NFL. Kind of boring. You know, Dallas had a scare. The Bills had a scare. We'll see what happens with these, some of these primetime games. I talk a little baseball and a little NFL today, and it's contract heavy. Obviously, I have to touch base on the Mets because they are the story of the Major League Baseball offseason, and there are tons of gigantic numbers to talk about, which is basically what this show is all about. So Mets money at the top, a quick spin into where we stand globally with Major League Baseball free agency. Some goods, some bads, some things that I thought were getting better that have now apparently reverted back to its old state. And, uh, you know, what might happen here in the next couple of weeks, things like that. Then, a real gimmicky NFL segment for you today. Contracts that were signed in 2022. The big ones, right? From Russell Wilson all the way down to, like, the Harold Landry world. So, 240 to 80-something. It's about 25 contracts. Really quickly assessing how things are going 14 weeks in and what it might mean. And is it just an anomaly? Are certain things working better than others? Are certain positions hitting more than others? What could be the long-term effect of so many big contracts being hit and being signed within an offseason, which is obviously good for everybody? But what happens if it doesn't stick? And what could be coming next? So baseball off the top, football on the back end, basketball coming soon. There's a recent piece on spotdrive.com that outlines the snapshot look at opening day projected tax payrolls for Major League Baseball. If you've nodded off, I, I get it. <laughs> but if you're still with me, there's going to be a little bit of that right now. Because, and I hate to sound like a, a hometown fan here because it's been a few episodes in a row of New York Mets, but this is the fall slash winter of the Mets. They, every time you're waking up in the morning, there's a new story. There's a couple uh, more dozen millions handed out by Steve Cohen in that front office, and they may not be done. (laughs) They may be done, but they may not be done. But everything surrounding tax payrolls starts and ends with the Mets. Here's why. If you've read that piece, I've broken down the four tiers based on the new CBA. used to be a little bit simpler. It's just slightly more complicated. And oh, by the way, it's complicated because everybody in this game saw this coming. The fourth tier is basically called the Steve Cohen rule. It's the Steve Cohen tier because the second this dude took over for the Wilpons in Queens, the foreshadowing was look out because as soon as he's able to spend money, he's going to. Now he did immediately with Frankie Lindor. I'll get to him in a second. But this was his first chance to sort of blank slate. Where do we need, where do we have holes? Let's start to fill in those holes, not just with, you know, grade C players. Let's get the big fish in the door and not let them leave until they've signed a contract. That's, that's been the tone. It's not let's just replace A for Z. It's let's replace A for at least an A minus, maybe even an A plus. In certain instances, I think the Mets have upgraded. Now, are they better? I I think on paper, it's kind of a push because, and we referenced it in a lot of the free agent work we did, they had significant 
replacements to make here. Three starting pitchers, four legitimate bullpen options, five if you include Edwin Diaz, who was, you know, one of the first free agent signings to come back to the Mets here. That's insurmountable for most franchises. Imagine the Pirates having 75% of their bullpen and 66% of the rotation headed for free agency. They would basically fold as a franchise, all right? You'd, they would have a payroll out of the gate of minimum salaries times 15. That's what their pitching staff would look like. That's just, that's just the nature of their business. Now, anyone who follows, follows me on Twitter knows, I think it's a broken business. I don't think any team should be able to do that, but I digress. The Mets have replaced every single one of those positions, whether it's via trade, and there's been three of those, not sexy, but arms. You don't need everybody in your bullpen to be a name or certainly a million, you know, a couple million dollars. They can just be a guy. And especially if they're left-handed or especially if they're good against righties, if they're situational, that's what you need. And you need depth and you need consistency. And depth is not going to be a problem for this Mets pitching staff. Let's put it that way. Because two of the starters that, that saw significant time on the mound as 2022 rotation players, David Peterson and Tyler McGill, are probably out of the rotation right now because of Justin Verlander, because of Jose Quintana, because of Kodai Senga, the big international signing that, that, that hit last night, five years, 75 million coming from Japan. Top that with Max Scherzer, toss in Cookie Carrasco from last year, and you've at least got a semblance of five players right there. So players like Peterson, like McGill, who probably weren't ready for full-time action, possibly could become bullpen arms, certainly become sixth and seventh depth players in that rotation. That's a, that's a team dream to be heading into opening day with seven starting pitchers that you know out of the gate are going to be ready for action. That's a dream. And that's what money can do right there. You know, two, only two of those players were brought up through the system and prepared for this role. And it's the sixth and seventh player. Everyone else has been bought or acquired. And look, we talked about this with San Diego. They continue down that path. Now, it hasn't been a path that's gotten them to the, to the finish line, nor has it been for the Mets. So every time I tweet something out there with the next big signing or the next iteration of their tax payroll, I know the first couple of responses to it are going to be, great, they're, they're still not going to win their division or you know, they're still not going to beat the Dodgers. And I get it. That's been the fact. But they are going above and beyond. Let's, let's talk some numbers here before I, I spew off too many tangents. The numbers are eye-popping. Now, I'm not going to bore you with 15 years of tax historicals. All you have to know is anything in the threes is already a gigantic number in terms of Major League Baseball. We're going to get past that. That's what happened with last night's signing of Senga. The active tax, current. Not projections, not Pete Alonzo, not the pre-arb guys. Just guaranteed veteran contracts that have been added or were already on this roster is $315 million. When you factor in Alonzo, the young kids, rounding out the rest of the 40-man roster, we're up to $347 million of projected 40-man CBT payroll for opening day, April 1st, 2023. It's about 
85 million more than any any other team in baseball right now. The Yankees are second at a projected 261 million. That includes Aaron Judge. That's 30 million north of the threshold. The Mets are now 115 north of the threshold <laughs> in projected opening day. The first threshold. There's four. They're past all of them, as you might imagine. It's increments of 20. So it's 233, 253, 273, and 293 plus. That's how the CBA thresholds for the tax break down this year. And obviously, the higher you go, the, the more tiers you progress into, the higher percentages of tax you'll pay. It's not a collective calculation. In other words, not all 347 million of the Mets payroll is going to be taxed at 80%, at 90%. The first 20 million gets taxed at 30%. The next at, at 50, then next at 62.5. And then the surplus, the Steve Cohen surplus, anything over 293 gets that maximum for the Mets repeater percentage tax. It means that they're projected to pay a $78 million bill next November if everything looks like it does exactly right now, which of course it will not. $78 million of bill, the payment, that's on top of the 347, which, which means we're talking 425 million. We're talking 400 plus easily for one season of the Mets. This is past warrior stuff. This is way past any of those problematic tech situations that a lot of people are talking about across other sports. I, I understand. There's a lot of people saying this just isn't fair. The Mets can do this because of their owner, and the Reds can't, and the Pirates can't. The Mets are going to pay a tax bill that could very well be bigger than one or two actual payrolls actual tax payrolls. As of right now, opening day, it's way bigger than the A's. It's slightly bigger than the Pirates and the Orioles, and it's just under the Reds. So that's, that's, that's how far ahead the Mets are putting themselves, financially speaking. Is it good for the game? It's terrible for the game. It's great that the Mets are spending money. What's terrible is that the Mets are at 347 and the A's are at 56. That's what's terrible. Right There's now, if I'm just spitballing here, 15 teams around the 190 mark, plus, 190 plus, projected opening day tax. That's pretty good. 15, it's about 12, actually, about 12, hanging in that 190 mark. So a couple more signings each, maybe an arbitration that turns into an extension. And, uh, you know, maybe there's a dozen teams around the $200 million mark. The first tier is 233. We've only got four teams projected to be over right now. And I can say only, but when we talk about basketball, we don't even have four teams with, with a dollar of cap because they blow past that first tier, which is essentially a soft salary cap, and they start talking about the next tier, the tiers that actually ding them you know, more than a slap on the pinky finger, which is what the first couple of tiers in Major League Baseball are. The Padres are, are basically $400,000 over the threshold, according to our projections. That tax bill is about a million dollars. It's nothing. It's nothing to them. So 
at the end of the day, going over, especially if it's slightly, and by the way, you can manipulate this so much at the trade deadline down the stretch. There are so many ways to shave a few things here and there. Having so many teams be so far away, just from 233, just from that first tier, that's the problem with Major League Baseball. That was the problem headed into two CBAs ago. It was still the problem headed into last year's CBA dispute. And not even a strike got us talking about it. It, it may have been one tweet in the middle of November leading up to the strike that we started to see some of the beat people say, hey, maybe we should have a salary floor. Maybe we should have a tax floor. And then it dissipated as quickly as it came, as if to say, we better at least say this out loud. Let's get this in somebody's ear, Jeff Passan, Mark Feinstein, so they can write something so that it's at least on paper that we, air quotes, discuss this. <laughs> but we never heard from it again. And I'm guessing, you know, dollars to dollars, it never even hit the boardroom discussion because it's such a contentious thing for clearly 80% of the league that don't want to be bullied into having to spend on players that it wasn't even worth bringing up because a two-month strike would have turned into a two-year strike. That's how bad things are right now. And the Mets are just going to expose it. And they're hopefully going to win ball games because of it. And I say hopefully not because I'm a fan of the Mets. I say hopefully because you should win ball games if you spend money in a league. You should be rewarded for spending money. I absolutely love the Moneyball stories. I love Leicester City and the EPL. I love them when the Houston Astros did things before they had to pay everybody. I loved when the Rays consistently got themselves close, even into the World Series. All right? I love those stories. It's an, it's an absolute geek exercise in roster management because you have to think differently. It should not be the norm. It should not be what more than half of the league aspires to be, even if it's hundreds of millions less for what could be significant success and reward and profit because of playoff and gate. That's not what half the league should be aspiring to. And that's still what we have. And I'm saying this on December 11th with projections for April 1st. And I just don't think it's going to change that much. You can throw Carlos Correa on the Giants and their needle will move a little bit. They'll move from 156 to 190. They'll be in that conversation. So let's say there's 13 teams in that 190 conversation. Maybe the Mariners sign one more body. Maybe the Cardinals get one more pitcher. Maybe we get to half the league, at least at the $200 million mark on opening day. But I wouldn't count on it. I wouldn't count on it. In fact, I'd count more on the Yankees and the Phillies and certainly the Padres trading away a couple of people, if not one big, big salary. Because A, they have a surplus in certain positions, Padres and five shortstops. B, they want to be conscious of the fact that they're in tier two or tier three. And the time to strike is before the season with Reese Hoskins or some of those players. Jake Cronenworth, right? Aaron Hicks, just to throw a couple of candidates out there. I'd say that some of those teams at the top are thinking subtraction, not addition. Certainly the Blue Jays are. Certainly the Angels are. It's a problem. 
I'm not going to stop talking about it. <laughs> so if you're sick of hearing it from me here or sick of seeing it on Twitter, you're just going to have to avoid those conversations. But somebody smarter than me, and there's plenty of you out there in baseball, is going to have to look me in the face and say, this is exactly why we don't have a floor. And the answer can't be not enough owners want it. Because it's just not good for the sport anymore. It's not good for the sport. And I don't blame the Mets. And I don't blame the Padres. And I don't blame the Phillies. And I don't blame the Yankees. Because we should have twice as many teams over that 233 threshold right now in the heart of free agency. Especially because they have until next November to clean that up. Why not go as high as possible and acquire as many bodies as possible? If you only have to pay them at 100, you know, salary divided by 100, 186 days times however long you keep the player. There's no trade restriction. This isn't the NBA where there's 97 rules for every single element of the game in the business. They could sign a player right now. Mets can trade Jose Quintana at the deadline if they need to, if it's just not a good fit. And it'll be one and a half years and 22, you know, 22 million total left or 21 million total left. That's their prerogative. I think more teams should be doing that. We see it in basketball quite a bit. In fact, there's a dozen players out there that were just added in July that were only added, A, for early depth so that some of their superstars could load manage, and B, because after their restriction lifts in December 15th or in January, they're now an asset. They were a four-month rental that was purchased by free agency that's going to be flipped at some point prior to the trade deadline to then bring in an actual asset, a pick, a player, etc. The NBA has become golden with those kind of transactions. The NFL is starting to get there. We're seeing a lot more flip. It's excellent for a team, for roster, for finance, finances. It's an excellent way to think. I'd love to see baseball get in that game. There's plenty of players. We got a thousand minor league teams and international, you know, situations that are improving on the daily. There's players all over the place. The Padres signing five shortstop is not the craziest thing in the world to me. It's not. It's the most talented players, generally, defensively speaking. So you find a spot for them for a while. You figure out which guys can stick, which guys can move to the outfield, which guys can play second. If Manny Machado is going to opt out next, you know, next November, et cetera, et cetera. And the rest you find new homes for. And, and they're the ones being the most aggressive with this. They've, they've been for years. We've talked about it. I think 90% of their starting lineup was acquired via trade, not homegrown, not signed by a free agency, acquired. They're constantly looking to bring in and move out. And I think more teams in baseball need to be like that. And once they start understanding that process, you won't be as afraid to make free agent splash. Not to the degree of the Mets. I don't think anybody is going to, is going to rip off Steve Cohen's style, and that includes Steve Cohen. This is probably going to be his one big splash, and then he's going to come back, crashing back down to earth next year, especially if the Mets season isn't an absolute superstar year. However, more creativity, more avenues, more options, thinking shorter term, not longer term, not just with contracts, but with actual times, time on a roster. We have a player now. We gave him a two-year contract. If we keep him six months, 
and it's just not a fit for us or it's just becoming too expensive for a team that's floundering when we thought we'd be expanding into a playoff roster, we're going to find a home for him. And if we got to sell him 90 on the dollar, we'll do it. Not to have to pay $13 million next year. There's ways around it. And it needs to get done. And it needs to start with overspending for depth and for players, for bodies now. And then figuring it out later in the game. That's just sports in America. It's just college football, people. <laughs> right? You're, you're going to be watching one quarterback play for Northwestern this year, for Notre Dame next year, and for, maybe for Miami in three years. It's just the way of the world. Everybody's getting into that process because it's become easier, because the money can move, and because there's new money on the next stop. Baseball players are starting to smell that. That's why no trade clauses are being basically mandated with these major contracts. And it's why player opt-outs, though not as many as I thought this year, were becoming more prevalent. I'm surprised in the lack of them in, in at least the top six or seven free agent contracts thus far. But I suspect we'll see a couple more here before it's all said and done. Let's talk about some of these deals quickly. Then I'll flip to the NFL. Um, one more point on the Mets. Six players added so far via free agency. That includes Senga. Three starting pitchers, two relievers, and they brought back their center fielder and Brandon Nimmo. Those contracts combined for $461 million. Again, we're never going to see the Pirates do this in our lifetime. Never. All right? It's not for everybody. It's not for anybody, historically in baseball. But would you really reprimand your team for overspending on three starting pitchers? Three top of the rotation starting pitchers and a bona fide se seventh inning setup guy in David Robertson and the best closer in baseball in Edwin Diaz and your leadoff slash center fielder. That's what the Mets have done. The Mets aren't just throwing money at, you know, Mitch Hanegers and Nick Swishers. They're not just saying, we think you're a fit. We're giving you $20 million a year. The Phillies did that last year, and it worked out gangbusters. And now they're doing it with their pitching. And now they're doing it with their shortstop, the prominent position. They did things kind of backwards. They had a couple of arms. They knew they could survive. They basically just bought themselves home runs last year, which is really nothing most franchises would ever do, is overspend for home runs. They did it. It worked. It didn't get them to the finish line because they were kind of a one-trick pony. Now they're not. Okay, now they're not. Now they got a third legitimate third starter in Taiwan Walker and one of the best all-around baseball players in the world in Trey Turner. They're going to be more flexible. They're going to be more susceptible to susceptible to be to winning the ugly games and the power game. They're better. A lot of the off-season moves in Major League Baseball have been smart, but they're not. We're not eliminating the age factor. We're not eliminating the 10 plus year deals in order to spread out that contract, get that tax salary low enough so that teams can remain 40 million under the threshold. And that is laced with as much sarcasm based on my, my earlier conversation as humanly possible. Okay. It's just, there's just no need to do this anymore. Baseball's healthy. It's not the NFL. It's not the NBA. And we have to stop talking about it that way because I think that 
we are talking Major League Baseball owners into allowing themselves to say, sorry, we can't do this. We're not those leagues. We're never going to be this. Look, look at our money versus their money. Look at how much our beers cost versus their beers cost. Look at what Jerry Jones is charging for a freaking pizza, a, pan, a personal pan pizza. The more that we amplify the gap between American sports and what America's pastime used to be, the more power we're giving to owners to say, well, we'll sign you till age 40, but it can only be at 300 million because we're not going over 25 million in tax salary for the best, one of the best players in baseball. That's Trey Turner. That's Bryce Harper. That's where we stand with those contracts. The one thing that Steve Cohen has shown he's going to do, and he tried to do it with DeGrom, by the way, three years, 116 million, I think I read, is I'll go big, but I won't go long enough to where it'll damage me after you're done. In other words, The super rich owners in baseball need to put the, clamp their foot down on dead tax because that's what Robinson Cano is right now. That's what Miguel Cabrera is right now. That's what Albert Pujols was for four years and then suddenly wasn't last year. We're seeing way too much of it. Certainly Chris Sale. Of the contracts that have just been signed, Aaron Judge is signed through 39. Trey Turner through 40, Xander Bogarts through 40, Jacob deGrom through 39, Justin Verlander through 42. Okay. If I go back to the biggest contracts that exist in this game right now, Trout is through age 38, Betts through 39, Lindor through 37, Harper through 38, Stanton through 37, Sigu through 37, Garrett Cole through 37. In other words, we're, we're actually reverting the process. We have these dynamic shortstops, this power-hitting monster and judge who did everything last year. And we took a step back, maybe even two steps back in this process, which is why are teams th saying we're willing to pay you to age 40 as long as it helps us right now, a little bit right now? Why are they doing it? The Yankees tax bill is absolute peanuts. It's absolutely nothing. It's embarrassing that they feel like they have to be nickel and diming themselves right now. Based on their current numbers, their tax bill is $9 million. And look, I'm in no position to say that $9 million is nothing, but when I'm, when I'm speaking on terms of the Yankees, $9 million is nothing. And like I said, they got 11 months to make it less than $9 million. But after Aaron Judge's $360 million contract with a $40 million AAV, their tax bill is $9.7 million. That includes Garrett Cole's massive contract. That includes, includes most of Giancarlo Stanton's massive contract. $9 million. Why couldn't that Aaron Judge contract be 7 for 50 why is Aaron Judge asking for that ninth year? Why does he need the ninth year? Does he honestly want to be playing baseball at age 39? I don't think the players that are currently playing at age 39, with the, with, you know, with the exception of Scherzer slash 
Verlander, who are just freaks, are having a lot of fun out there, especially when it comes to two months of you know spring training, 186 league days, and then maybe some postseason. Marathon. Can't imagine. Can't ima- you know, watching Tom Brady right now <laughs> is painful. This whole mindset has to change. And it starts with team control and players feeling like they, they're being held down, you know, with a foot on top of them for six plus years, service time. And then they're finally free. And I just got to get the biggest, longest contract possible so that nobody can do this to me ever again. And we just need an order to step in and say, look, do your thing. All right. We're going to go six years. We're going to pay you up to 36, 37 years old. It's not good for anybody after that. It's not good for anybody. So we're going to take the two years that you think you need, and we're going to spread, allocate that money into seven years. And we're going to take a little bit more on the chin, and there's going to be a little bit more of a tax bill, but it's going to work out in the end because we're a billion-dollar corporation. (laughs) So it makes me sick that we're not getting better with that. In fact, if we're looking at 2019 through 2021 contracts versus everything we've seen so far in 2022, we're reverting back into the pool holes world, which haven't we learned? I thought we all learned with Jason Hayward, who's still on the books this year for the Cubs at 22, I think $22 million, something around that. I thought that was going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. Certainly the pool stuff, the second he walked into the, the angel's door. Oh, by the way, the Rendon contract there is just as, you know, elephant in the roomy. How are we not learning? How are we not throwing gigantic AAV, shorter contracts, and saying, take it or leave it? It's not like 75% of the league is, is bidding against you if you're doing it, because they're not even trying to get to $100 million, let alone having one player at 50. That's what's got to be next. From the Steve Cohens, from the whoever in the world thinks, can, can think in this regard and put their foot down. That's what has to come next with, next with this league. Because the more superstars that we have to watch playing at age 39 and 40 unsuccessfully, the worse this game will be. It will continue to deteriorate. Because it'll feel like he signed a contract forever ago. He, feel, he might as well be 60 years old playing baseball right now. It feels like that. Get more within less. Stop worrying about this damn salary tax because it is so inconsequential for the majority of the league. And let's just play ball. It's not a hard cap. It's not a salary cap. It's not anything. You can pay what you want to pay. And if, it, if you got a slap on the wrist for doing it, you take your lump. You shed some salaries for next year. You try not to be a three-peater, which is just an you know, astronomical percentage. You start over and do it again. We got to get better at this. We got to think less about the AAV and more about windows. What kind of window does my starting rotation have? What kind of window, what kind of drop-off does my, do my best athletes have, especially if speed's going to start to be a factor? Pay for windows, not for careers. Players will get their money. It'll be there. 
And they're going to love getting $150 million in four years. I promise. Especially after making 20 for six. They're going to love it. Let's get better at this. Game needs it. The game needs to get smarter, more efficient. And as we've seen, there's plenty of money to throw around. Plenty of money in Texas. Plenty of money in California. Hell, the Tampa Bay Rays even tried to pay $50 million for Jose Abreu. The money's there. Let's force them to use it, and let's force them to use it more efficiently. Speaking of contracts, <laughs> it's a big evaluation day for contracts in a couple of sports. I'm going to look at the NFL contracts that were signed in 2022. Just a few. I'm not going to bore you to death here. Talked about quite a few of them, just in passing, just in jest. But this is kind of going to be a grade day. I have the NFL contracts tracker on spot tracks sorted by 2022 for the start year. It is a long list. There's draft contracts, there's free agent contracts, there's in-house extensions. If I'm just going to go from the top to the bottom here, it gets ugly pretty damn quick. I mean, is Devontae Adams a push right now? He's excellent. He's still as fun to watch, as must-see TV, as humanly possible. But are, are the Raiders absolutely thrilled with how everything's working out right now? Uh, certainly you're thrilled to have that guy in your roster. But with how everything's going on a week-to-week basis, what they had to give up and now what they're paying, there has to be at least some concern. So if I just fire off the top 15 2022 contracts, here's how it looks. Russell Wilson, no words needed. Kyler Murray, less words needed. Deshaun Watson, even less words needed. <laughs> Matthew Stafford, unfortunate. Aaron Rodgers, in the same ballgame. Devontae, Derek Carr, Vaughn Miller, Tyreek Hill, finally. A contract we can look at and say, Man, totally transformed team. One single non-quarterback completely transformed a team. It's rare, and it should be noted, and it should be an asterisk next to his name everywhere that he shows up, including financially speaking. Bradley Chubb, fine. I mean, it's a position of need. They did what they had to do. It might be an overpay, both trade-wise and contract-wise, but for now, it's just a straight push for us. Denzel Ward. Did you even remember that contract was signed this year? Uh, we've got a lot of them. He's fine. You know? I, I mean, not according to pro football focus because of injuries, but he's fine. The Browns defense has been kind of miserable. But that's the kind of position you want on your roster. But he's in this top 15 conversation. A.J. Brown, slam dunk, right there with Tyreek. Stephon Diggs, slam dunk. Aaron Donald, for all intents, slam dunk. Injuries obviously put the damper on that. Even Max Crosby, slam dunk. In other words, of this 15 to 20 that I've rattled off here, are there four that we love? And I realize it's you know, been less than a season. 
but these are major impact positions slash players. This is not, it's, it's been a very unique situation and season as a whole, right? To see the Brady's and the Rogers and the Stafford's be kicked so low. But if you just think about all this off season we went through and it was, it was a hefty one. You know, I didn't even get the Cooper cup. I didn't even get the Jair Alexander, Xavier Howard, Harold Landry. How many of these contracts, JC Jackson, I'm, I'm literally going down the list of total value 2022 contracts that were just signed. I can continue to go. Quentin Nelson, Derwin James, Taron Armstead, Minka Fitzpatrick, the injuries and, this, and injuries slash poor play. It's astronomical. It's like an like 80% hit rate. Negative hit rate. If not for Tyreek and A.J. Brown and Stefan Diggs, and Donald and Crosby for sure. This would be an absolute disaster. I'd be able to run 25 players without getting to a even above average free agent or, or extension contract rate. It's been that bad. So buyer beware, <laughs> all right? Certainly at the top of this list with Wilson, Murray, and Watson, but we've talked about that for quite a bit. But buyer beware, everywhere you look, that it's going to take some time, all right? The, the Stefan Diggs drop a hat in the Bills and let's, let's just go to the playoffs, that's obviously going to be an anomaly. Now, it's going to work with Tyreek. Certainly, it's working with A.J. Brown. But those are established, established rosters. If you think, you know, and I think Denver is the best example of this. They had what we thought was a roster of above-average players. But I think in hindsight, we were overvaluing quite a lot of them. Not, not so much from a secondary standpoint. I think they've got some real hits there. But the inconsistency on the rest of that roster, and by the way, with Russell Wilson, which we didn't talk about enough coming in, that was just a bad recipe. And Kyler Murray's the exact same fit. There are superstars. You know, Hopkins is a superstar. But there's a lot of holes on a lot of these rosters. And if you're Carolina or you're the Jets, and you think you're just going to drop a veteran quarterback or a WR1 or an edge rusher onto this roster and say, now we've got our, our team, I, I just think you have to buy or beware on this, obviously. Because it's, it's gotten really, really wonky with traditional roster management, traditional contract management, and translation in the standings. You know, the NFC South is probably going to become something we see a lot where every team in that division is struggling because every team's in the same cycle. You know, we thought we had that with the NFC West, AFC West, excuse me. But on the inverse, we thought we were going to have potentially four playoff teams in the Chargers and the Broncos and the Chiefs and the Raiders. Obviously, that's not the case. There, you are going to have those cyclical, cyclical actions because it's the nature of the game. And, you know, the Bills get digs. It's going to force the Dolphins to do something that they did this offseason, which is basically just bring in the farm from all avenues. I think we're going to start to see that from the Jets next season. Let's just start to add and add and add, and not just through the draft, but from every avenue possible because we've got to hit. What this exercise should tell you is do not put your horse in one barn. All right. It's not going to be enough 
just to add one piece and say, now we're good at that position. Clearly, if you don't have a viable option or a viable versatility spin, right? If you can't run and pass, or if you don't have tight end presence to go with some kind of wide receiver presence, you're just not going to last in this league. If you think about all the teams that are having high, high, high success rates right now, something about them is completely unique. Whether it's Jalen Hurts and his ability to do everything right now, and same for Tua, same for Josh, or if it's just a barn full of tons of horses, just loaded weapons, they're just going to make it work. Or if it's a coaching staff with a system, like a Shanahan, like a Reed, that know exactly how to plug and play, kind of almost whoever you throw them. But every situation is going to be unique. It always has been. And now with contracts raising to the level they have, especially these 25 or so that I've referenced here, you know, $242 million down to 80-something for your J.C. Jackson and your Cooper Cups, with money getting that crazy and guarantees thankfully coming up percentage-wise, my concern is we're going to see less risk take. And I don't want that to happen for this league, especially come via trade, especially with shorter-term, either internal or free agent splat. That stuff has to exist in this league or it's going to start to revert to baseball. I promise you, these rosters are double the size of baseball. And depth has never been more important at every position, including the quarterback. And we're going to start to see teams do this. Now, thankfully, there is a spending floor, you know, a percentage that they have to get to over a three or four year basis. Thankfully, there is a hard cap. So you won't be able to see a team become the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Cincinnati Reds of the last couple of years and just literally bring it down to nothing and go nowhere. But my concern is, and we talked about this when 20 wide receivers signed in the past year and a half, what happens when more than half of these miss and are immediately blown up? This is where the running back market went to die. When, eight, when everybody realized that they had a guy that wasn't Adrian Peterson, even though they were paying him close to Adrian Peterson money, everyone looked around their front office room and said, what the hell are we doing? We can just get three guys because two of them are getting hurt anyway. Let's get three guys. It's coming. It's coming for a lot of these positions. And oh, by the way, the Jimmy Garoppolo stuff and the Brock Purdy stuff and what San Francisco is going to continue to be able to do over the next couple of weeks, and I'm kind of putting my stamp on that, that's going to be another X factor. Because as I mentioned with Shanahan and Reeds, those guys have made it work with a hell of a lot of different weapons at every position, including the quarterback especially Andy Reid over the past couple of years, you know, iterations of his coaching life. So just a fair warning. Buyer be risked, you know, buyer beware, fans beware, front offices beware. The all the chickens in one basket, the all the eggs in one basket, excuse me, is obviously risky, but it's going to become more and more risky when you're giving up draft picks to bring a guy in when you're throwing $200 million next to that name on your cap table. It's coming. Because $50 million a year is just going to be an afterthought to me, especially with a cap probably around 225 next year. So it's a bad look through week 14 right now with 
25 or so contracts that were signed this past offseason. Hopefully this is just a weird unicorn-type season, like I mentioned. But if not, I get on here every single January, every single March, and we look back at the top-paid players at every position. How many of them made the playoffs? How many of them were in the Super Bowl? And how many of them won the Super Bowl? And I understand that it's unfair to put Christian McCaffrey in that conversation every year. But I have to, because that team chose to make him the highest paid player at his position, which essentially puts a lot of clout on him, even if his position doesn't have a lot of clout with it. But you can't establish something like that and then say, but, you know, 53 guys, everybody's got to contribute. At some point, that won't be the conversation that owners allow. They're simply going to say, everybody's making five, and we're going to get 70 of them. Because 15 are getting hurt. We need 16 on the practice squad. We're going to trade three of them. We're going to cut two of them, you know, probably one or two a week, if you're thinking about that, you know, that kind of nickel and diamond. My concern is we're about to get there. The more Russell Wilson contracts we have at the very top that dominate the news every single time he steps on the field. And that's coming for Kyler. And it's early on Deshaun, but it will come for Deshaun as hard as humanly possible if he continues to flounder. The more that those things hit the press, the more pressure there will be to suppress money everywhere in the sport. And that'll be from the top down. Okay, plenty of work on SpotTrack.com. Plenty more coming this week. I will be doing roundups on some of these free agent signings, a best available list for Major League Baseball free agency, a top NFL free agent list, just a flat-out top 25. Tom Brady is on the bubble right now, folks. He's on the bubble, but he's going to be there because i got to sell some tickets here. And then Keith Smith continues his push towards the trade deadline. His next contract series, I believe there's going to be a Chris Middleton in the near future, a name that's not being talked about enough on one of the best teams in all of basketball. And oh, by the way, it's almost Christmas. So the NBA is going to become extra relevant in just a few weeks. And that December 15th trade restriction for dozens of players is just a couple of days away. So probably a good time to start re, uh, re-engaging with the NBA because transaction season is back. And it's going to start to get fun with a lot of teams that we didn't expect to be at least decent. Will they be buyers? Will they be sellers? That all starts basically right now, this coming week in the NBA. So we'll have Keith Smith doing his work both on the paper and on this show in the next couple of weeks. My thanks to The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash track. Get 40% off that first year subscription. Download that app and get it right around this time when all these sports are super relevant. And there's tons of content flowing through it. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.